0: Thank you for joining us on our podcast for Faith Center Church. We hope today's message builds you up and brings you hope right where you're at. Hope you enjoyed the message. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. I have to ask a question, though. You do know this is an Easter, right? Because I look around here, man, it's a good crowd. I'm like... I know what it is. You, did, you didn't know I was preaching. That's why you came. That, that's what it is. They knew you were They knew. Okay, thank you. I appreciate that. I want to say a special welcome to uh, Scott Morgan and his family. They're back there. Scott, wave at me. Good brother right there. Well, Maddie's basketball coach. And I tell you, he Coach Maddie. you can do anything. <laughs> I love you, baby. You know I do. He's a great guy. He's, I believe, in Latta now, aren't you? Superintendent Latta? So, great to have you and your family here. Thank you for being here. We get your Bibles and turn them out to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. Have you ever been in a place in your life, and you may be there right now, but have you ever been in a place in your life where you just think to yourself, I can't take this anymore. I just, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to be preaching in Luke 15, and that is the story of the parable, I mean the parable of the prodigal son. And you may think, how are you going to get that title out of this message and this scripture? Well, you hold on. You're about to see Luke 15, verse 17 through 20. When he came to himself, that's a key right there. When he came to himself, he said, "How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger?" I will arise, go to my father, and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him. I like that. When he's a great way off, way, way off, his father saw him, had compassion, ran, and fell on his neck and kissed him. Verse 17 again. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare? And I perish with hunger. Lord, speak to every one of our hearts. In Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. I can't take it anymore. I've been there many a time. What we're going to do today is we're going to, we're going to go to look at this Scripture and how to have, as we look at the Scripture... How we have to have tough talks with ourselves. And I want to begin with this statement this morning: your evolution and advancement is tied to your authenticity. Tracy was all over my sermon. She didn't even know I was preaching. You may think, because we, you know, we're married, we live together, that she, she didn't know. It begins with uh, your evolution advancement is tied to your authenticity. Here's the thing, you cannot live well if you won't get real. You've got to get real with yourself. Wellness and realness are not mutually exclusive. This is essential because part of the attentionality of God is not to just to expose us to Him, but to expose us to us. John Calvin said this, Spiritual growth is not just a journey for God discovery. It is also a journey towards self-discovery. So, he's saying, in essence, I know I'm growing spiritually, not just by whether or not I can see God, but by whether or not I can see me. So, the question is not, can I just locate God? The question is, can I locate me? And am I growing spiritually enough to accurately identify where I am and then honestly assess how I feel about it and make a decision regarding what I'm going to do about it? Here's the thing, church God is grooming and growing us toward authenticity if you will allow Him to. You have to allow that. But however, today we live in a culture, cultural, or culture that works aggressively and intentionally against the very trait God's trying to grow in us. God's trying to grow us into authenticity, but we live in a culture of superficiality. And here's what I mean by that statement. People will tell you to be you and then punish you when you're not them. Yeah. You can't tell me to be me on one end and then punish me when I'm not like you on the other end. And I believe the enemy is either orchestrating this or the enemy is using this. And he's using it in a way that is similar to the way he used an Old Testament character named Jezebel. Jezebel operated in manipulation and intimidation. This whole idea of telling you to be you and then canceling you when you're not like someone else is the enemy's way of influencing us the way Jezebel influenced God's people. She wanted to get you to be... Her whole thing was trying to get you to be someone that's not you because you're operating in a fear of somebody else's reaction. Well, if I act that, what are they going to think about me? Listen, you've got to walk by faith. You can't walk by somebody else's action. Look at your neighbor and say, Be yourself. Because here's what the Bible says about this. Living this way, as someone who's living with with the fear of a man. Look, I'll prove it. Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. It's a trap. The fear of man is a snare. It's a trap. You see the cheese, you go for the cheese, you get trapped. You get that? It imprisons us to the opinions of other people who don't even live by the same standards they're holding you to live by. They had expectations of you and they can't even be themselves. And then they punish you for having the courage to do what they're unwilling to do. Now, If you're not ready to be you, that's your business. But don't punish me if I'm ready to be me. Your evolution, advancement, and effectiveness is in your authenticity. I can prove this throughout the entire Word of God. And I'll start doing that right about now. God doesn't defeat David if he caves to the pressure of wearing Saul's armor. Remember Saul said, here, wear this. It'll protect you. David doesn't win that match if he caves to the pressure of wearing Saul's armor. We just see what he does with the slingshot, but we don't see what he didn't do with the sword. Saul gave him a sword. He said, I don't want a sword. I don't need a sword. I got what I need. It's your willingness, church, to walk away from the sword that's going to determine whether or not you can effectively use your slingshot and what God's gifted you with, not what some God's gifted somebody else with. Can you imagine what people said when David walked out there with a slingshot in his hand? What he going to do with that thing? He can't defeat Goliath with that. See, they didn't recognize that even though the slingshot was new to them, It was proven to David. David was confident with the slingshot in his hands. David was like, just because you're just now seeing me do this, doesn't mean I just started doing it. Just because you haven't been exposed to it, doesn't mean I haven't been doing it. Just because you were not aware of it, doesn't mean I haven't been using it the whole time. Just because you haven't seen anybody use a slingshot to take a giant down doesn't mean the slingshot doesn't work. Doubt me if you want to. Talk about me if you want to. And then watch me knock this giant on his back end. Your evolution and advancement and effectiveness is tied to you being you, your authenticity, your uniqueness. Your willingness to embrace God in your life. I believe there are lessons that we can pull from this scripture that can help all of us. Because most people want to be themselves, but they just don't know how. And I'm saying this because there's going to be tough talks that you have to have with yourself to get to that place of Authenticity. You've got to have tough, talk, tough talks with you. David has to have a tough talk with himself. When he's walking around in Saul's armor, because he put it on. Saul said, where did he, he put it on? But when he's walking around, he had to say this. Catch this, church. There are some things that you are wearing that look like they fit on the outside, but they're not right for you on the inside. No, some of you didn't get that. Some of the things that you're wearing that look like they fit on the outside, they don't fit. They're not right for you on the inside of who you are. So there are some assessments, thank you, Annalisa. So there are assessments that you can make that you know, this isn't me. Bad English, but this ain't me. Luke chapter 15 provides us with some insight here on how to have tough talks with ourselves. I've been a Christian since I was 12 years of age. I've been reading the Bible for 45 years. And I probably read Luke 15 a thousand times. But as I was studying for this, I saw something that I've never seen before. Now first of all, let's establish this. Luke 15 is a parable. And remember what a parable is. A parable is Jesus' way of using something we can understand to help us understand something that we can't understand. Okay, In Luke 15, this father has how many sons? And they're living under the same roof. But both of them have two different experiences. Same house, same father, two different experiences. The oldest son, satisfied with his experience. I mean, he's a very wealthy father. But the younger son is dissatisfied with with his experience. And if you read it carefully, the Bible doesn't give any indication that the father treated them any different. So it wasn't the father's activity, how he was treating him; it was the younger son's interpretation. His youthfulness is a spiritual metaphor for his immaturity. Because watch this, immature people misinterpret actions. I'll say it again, Mis- immature people misinterpret your actions. The immature see themselves as being treated unfairly when they're not. Come on, we got a whole generation like this. The immature make themselves victims when they're not. Now, am I saying there are times when people, hand, you know, people handle people unjustly? Of course there are. But that's not in this text. So the Bible is putting limitations on the children that the younger son saw as restrictions. Limitations are different than restric- restrictions. So maybe he saw the older brother getting more latitude than he had. And he didn't understand. Because he's older, he gets that latitude. You're in the same house, but you're not the same age. Now this is interesting. What he should have saw as protection, watch this, he sees it as restriction. How many times do we say, God, you're restricting me, you're keeping me here. God's protecting you. The father was not trying to restrict his freedom. He was trying to protect it. Get your pen and paper out and write this down. I call this the blessing of the block. And I almost entitled this sermon that right there. The blessing of the block. You say, what do you mean block? Watch this. The Father in this text is a metaphor for God, right? It's a parable. And some blessings in your life come as blocks. Has God ever blocked anything in your life? I'm not talking about God blocking something that you didn't want to happen. I'm talking about God blocking something that you did want to happen. What seems like an opportunity can really be a trap. And when you don't see it, God will come in and block it. Yeah, we got to praise Him for the blessings, but we also got to praise Him for the blocks. Certain relationships that I thought I wanted... God blocked them. Some opportunities that I tried to get into and God blocked them and thank God that He did. It's the blessing of the block. It feels like restriction, but it's really protection. There are some people who are judging you for the things you did, having no idea about the things you tried to do that God blocked. Oh, you're mad about that? You have no idea what I tried to do and God blocked it. Okay? So the younger son has some maturity issues. It's not age. Watch this. It's emotional immaturity. So when the father wouldn't give him everything he wanted, here are some of the emotions that showed up in the younger son. Arrogance. Arrogance showed up. Arrogance is an overflooded estimate estimation of oneself. I'm going to give you the definition of that. Entitlement showed up. We deal with a lot of entitlement today, don't we? Entitlement is the belief that one is inherently deserving of something that somebody else earned, but they didn't. that a preach right there. Then offense showed up. This offense is resentment that rises as a result of an assumed insult. So the enemy, watch this, uses three emotions because the younger son goes to the father and says, Give me the portion of goods that I got coming to me. Meaning, I want the part you got for me in your will. I'm tired of waiting on you to die to get it. Give it to me now. That's the immature son's request. That, that request is a revelation of his immaturity. Because the immature says these words to the Father, Give me. Not, not, not Luke 15, Father. Father God. You want to know if you're immature or not? How you praying? Lord, give me. Give me. Now, I'm getting ready to show you something here. When the the prodigal son, son, the younger son, was in the pig pen, he doesn't say, watch this, he doesn't say, I'm going to go back to the father and say, give me. He matured a little bit. Pig pen experiences will do that to you. Watch this, he says, Brian, he says, I'm going to go back to the father And say, make me. He said, I'm going to go back to the Father and say, make me one of your hired servants. When we're immature, our prayer says, God, give me. But when we mature spiritually, our prayer is, God, make me. If you make me, you won't have to give me so much. Because when you make me, I'll go get it for myself. So he takes all that he has, takes his inheritance, goes off to a distant country. His father tries to convince him through instruction, but he won't listen. So catch this. When God cannot get through us by instructions, church, he gives us an experience. (laughs) This This is the good part. He gives you what you want, that he knows you don't need to teach, him, teach you something about him. He gives you what you want, that he knows you don't need to teach you something about him. God says, the only way you're going to understand my nature is for me to give you what you think you want. So that you can see what I was doing was not restricting you, but it was protecting you. And after that experience, you, you just won't see it differently. You'll see God differently. You'll come back trusting God more. Because here it is, church, God loves you enough to teach you through instructions. But if that doesn't work, He loves you enough to go ahead and teach you through experience. So the Bible says what? He gives His Son part of his inheritance. The Bible said the sun goes off, spends it on wild living, prostitutes, with the people in that land. He had valuables, he had assets, but he got with the wrong people. That's important, who's in your tribe. It's important, who you keep in your circle. And they helped him spend it. Yes, they did. They help, watch this. They helped him spend what they didn't help him get. Now, his physical distance can be a metaphor for spiritual and emotional distance. So when you get in the wrong place, physically, emotionally, and spiritually, then you meet the wrong people. And it feels right as long as we're wasting my values, my valuables. So you're helping me lose what I value. I'm losing my values with you. The Bible says he spends all that he has and then something happens. My favorite verse in the Bible. He comes to himself. Or he comes to his senses. Uh, This ain't ain't good. This didn't work out at all like I thought it was going to work out. Now don't miss this. The Bible doesn't say there was anyone else in that pig pen with him except pigs. He's working for someone, feeding their pigs, and the Bible says he starts talking. Look at verse 17 again in Luke 15. But when he came to himself, he said, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare? And I perish with hunger. He said, he spoke. He talked. Nobody's in the pig pen. Who's he talking to? He's talking to himself. He's having a tough talk with him. Sometimes, when you see that you missed it, you've got to pull up a chair and say to yourself, self, we need to talk. We, We, you and I, We need to talk. I'm here. I'm dirty. I'm stinking. I'm hungry. My father's servants are living better than this. And I can't take it here anymore. There has to come a time in your life when you come to yourself, you have a tough talk and say, you know what? I can't take it here anymore. I'm leaving this place. But until you do, you're just going to be there tired, stinking, and out of money. I just preach it like it is. I wasn't born for this. I hate it here. I'm more than this. I can't take it here. My daddy didn't create me for this. This is what he was telling himself. He says, I'm not living in a way that's consistent with who I am. And this young man's experience turns around. He tried, father tried to give him instruction. But when instruction doesn't work and you don't listen to the word, God will give you an experience. Okay. So like I've read the story so many times, I've always just focused on the Father. And the love of the Father. And I never gave the younger son any credit. Because I'm like most of you I'm like most of you. Yeah, he deserved that. Yeah, he did a big piece of stupid right there. He deserved everything he got. Yeah. And I always just focus on the Father. I never give the son any credit. Yes. He did a lot of stupid things. But the one thing he did is something that many people won't do. And that is, he didn't let pride keep him where he was at, in the pig pen. Don't let pride keep you where you're at. If you're making mistakes, say, Self, we're not doing this anymore. He didn't let pride keep him in the pig pen. It took a lot of humility for him to say, I've got to go back to a man that I told was wrong, and tell him you're right. You're right. Now let me ask you a question, church: Is pride is pride keeping you in the pig pen? Now, what's this? He has emotional honesty and was able to be honest or to honestly acknowledge what he's actually feeling. And what he was feeling was frustration. Write that down. Frustration is your friend. Write that down. Frustration is my friend. Frustration is on God's payroll. (laughs) He uses it. One writer calls frustration holy discontent. What's this? Frustration is fuel, and God uses it to energize you, to get you from where you are to where you need to be. And what I love about this is he hated the pig pen. What would have been problematic is if he would have loved it. Some people are okay staying in the pig pen. But you can't be okay there. So God will use frustration as an indication that you no longer belong on the level that you're living at. Frustration, church, is the equivalent to the check engine light on your vehicle. It's God's way of saying, I want you to pay attention to something right here. You're living beneath the way I called you and created you to be. You're getting ready to settle for something that's less than my very best for you. So I'm going to agitate you with frustration until you get so frustrated with the pig pen that you come back home. God wants you to be frustrated. I know this sounds totally (laughs) inaccurate, but it's totally true. God wants you to be frustrated financially, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, because he's trying to use that as a fuel to get you to come back home. Okay? So, what you value is a part of your unique design. And what you don't value is also a part of your unique design. The food I don't like distinguishes me from people who like it. Catch that. So, that means I've got to be okay with what I don't have. I know that one hurt a little bit right there. And I try to make myself like what I don't like, I'm removing value differentiation. And I'm compromising my uniqueness. So that means I've got to get to a place where I'm okay with acknowledging you might like it here, but I can't take it here anymore. Respectfully. I'm glad you have a job, sir. Thank you for giving me a job and allowing me to feed these pigs. I could be hungry and I appreciate it, but this ain't for me. Respectfully. You don't know where I come from. You don't know who my dad is. And so I love the fact that it could be worse than what it is right now, but it's still not as good as it's supposed to be for me right now. So respectfully, I can't take it here anymore. That's part of what distinguishes you from everybody else. This man models what I call emotional honesty. Write that down. You've got to get honest with yourself emotionally. He models emotional honesty. Let me tell you what happens here. The Bible says he prepares a speech that he's going to tell his dad. By the time he gets close to home, the father what? Sees him. Don't miss this. From where? A long way off. So before he can get to the father, the father sees him. Here's what that's a metaphor for. That's a metaphor for his heart turning Before the heart turns, the father sees it turning. Man, that's good. The father sees it turning. He runs out to meet his son. And when his son is about to give his speech that he's prepared to his daddy, his father cuts him off and says, starts talking to other people. Bring me a rope. Give me shoes. Give me that ring. Bring me that ring. Here's my question. If the father gave him all his stuff before he left, how did he have a robe to fit him, shoes to fit him, and a ring that he could wear? Here's the answer. Write it down. It's going to knock your socks off. You ready? Because the father has enough to replace what you waste. Gosh. God's got enough. Even though you wasted it, he'll replace it. Because he's got enough. Can anyone look back over your life besides me and say, I blew some things. I mismanaged some opportunities. But if you'll get real, the Father's got enough to replace what you wasted. Can't take it here anymore. Are you able to be real about what you feel? And I'm not talking about being real to others. I'm talking about being real to yourself. Most people aren't able to be real with themselves. (laughs) I'll give you a great example. Several years ago, probably three years ago, I weighed 310 pounds. And in my mind, I thought I looked pretty good. Big shoulders, big arms, big legs. But had a big old belly. But in my mind, Caleb, I think, I got I'm alright. right. I'm yoked. I'm good. And then I saw a picture. (laughs) Andy was with us, our football picture. I saw a picture. And here I am. (laughs) See, I thought in my mind I looked one way, but I didn't. Most people aren't able to be real with themselves. And if you don't get right with you, you can't get this right relationally with anybody. You've got to get it right with you first. Here's what I mean. I can only speak for myself when it comes to relationships. One thing that I require in relationships is trust. If I can't trust you, I can't be a friend to you. That's just me. I can be around people that aren't perfect. That's not a problem but I can't be around people that I can't trust. That's emotional honesty. And here's the thing. Most people can't get to a place of authenticity and can't make good choices relationally because they have not stepped into emotional honesty with themselves. They're judging their emotions before they discern what the emotions are trying to tell them. Watch this. They say things like, I shouldn't feel this way, opposed to saying, what are these feelings trying to tell me? Sometimes my feelings can be telling me something about me. They can be telling me I'm too sensitive. They can be telling me I need to grow up. But most people can't get the message that their emotions are trying to send them because they're assigning morality to their emotions. Catch that. They're assigning morality to their emotions. Don't assign morality to emotions. Assign morality to your actions. Watch this. The Bible never tells you not to feel. It tells you what to do and what not to do. Paul, what did Paul say? Be angry, but sin not. So sometimes I don't know people are pursuing the praises of men until they don't get it. And those feelings are God's way of trying to communicate to us you're pursuing the praises of men. You're pursuing the praises of the wrong people. But you don't know that until you get that and there's a feeling attached to that once you get it. But if we can get real, we can get right. And it's okay to respectfully be grateful and then be aware that my current situation is not God's best for me. When you step... And to this degree of authenticity, there are three things the Bible tells us will happen and that we can expect. I got 10 minutes and I'll be out of your hair with these three things. Number one, write it down and it'll be on your screen. Authenticity exposes your real allies. Some people are attached to a version of you that isn't the real you. And when you become authentic... It's going to reveal to you those that are real, really for you and assigned to you. This is what I believe. We all need to grow with God in any space. God is not going to divinely join you with somebody that you have to be someone other than yourself to be with. That's not going to happen. They'll be able to see you and your areas of growth and your brokenness and love you. They will not be allergic to your weakness. Church, this is why (laughs) Jesus could touch a leper and not get leprosy. Right? Really? You ready for this? Because when God divinely connects you with somebody, they can't touch what's contagious and not be contaminated. Did you get that? Number two, authenticity is going to increase your anointing. Remember this, God's anointing will only fall on your authentic self. God will not anoint anoint what you pretend to be. We live in an age of such spiritual apathy that many people cannot discern between charismatic personalities, people who are exceptionally gifted, and they can't distinguish that between that and the anointing. But Isaiah tells us what's distinctive about the anointing. You know what it does? It removes burdens. And it destroys yokes. That's what the anointing does. So that means when I work my gift, then I work. But when the anointing works, God works. It's not just am I preaching, but is God working in my preaching? So the evidence of the anointing is not really seen in the experience or vibe that somebody can create in a room. The anointing is seen in a transformational impact of the people that the anointing is serving. The anointing makes you do, makes what you do different. It makes your words decisive. It makes your appeals more convincing. It makes your ministry more compacting. This is all found in your authenticity. And I'm trying to get you to see That you are enough. At some point, you have to get to a place in your life where you say, I can't take it here anymore. My slingshot is enough. I don't need your sword. I got my slingshot. I'm not committed to winning. I know know that sounds crazy, but listen, watch this. I'm not committed to winning. I'm committed to God. Don't miss that. Because culture is committed to winning. The three Hebrew boys said God is able to deliver us and we will not bow. But even if God does not deliver us, we still will not bow. Because they're not committed to winning, they're committed to God. Here's what that means. Being myself and believing that I'm enough, I'm going to teach this Bible to, to Jesus comes back. This is my slingshot. And I am committed to explain this scripture in such a way that you can apply it to your life tomorrow because that's my slingshot. That's my slingshot. Number three, authenticity will accelerate your advancement. When you're authentic, you will advance. When you be you, you will advance. You will continue to waste time when you try to be somebody that you're not. And it will only delay the goodness and true uniqueness that God has prepared for you. I believe this morning God is compelling you to live your life with authenticity. I believe God this morning is drawing a line in the sand saying, Do you love me more than winning? Watch this. Because if you love me more than winning, God says, I can trust you with the win. There are many people that are winning who demonstrated that they can't be trusted with the win because winning caused them to lose. God said, if you're committed to me, I know you'll be like Esther. You'll never love what I gave you more than why I gave it to you. You'll always be faithful to why God gave it to you. Even if it means putting in jeopardy what God gave you because you love God more than what He gave you. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is going to help you this week. I believe that He's going to show you your authenticity this week. He's going to help you. And I'll close my iPad to give you a glimmer of hope. He's going to help you have tough talks with yourself. I want to challenge you this week to get somewhere by yourself and metaphorically pull up a chair and say we need to talk we need to talk self-evaluation self-evaluation I do this at the end of every season refereeing I sit down with myself and say what can I do better how can I get better self-evaluate myself that's just giving you a quick illustration Whatever it is that you do, how could you do it better? The only way you're going to find out is when you sit down by yourself and have a tough talk with yourself. Yeah, God hasn't maybe anointed you to preach the gospel. Be thankful for that. Trust me. But God's anointed you to cut some hair. God's anointed you to cook some food. God's anointed you to be a friend to someone that needs needs a friend right now. God's anointed you to do whatever it is that you're doing. Sit down sometimes by yourself and say, God, am I completing my assignment well? God, am I trying to be like somebody else? Or am I doing this thing the way I need to be doing it? If not, God, please show me. And guess what? God will show you. And God will instruct you. And let me say this in closing, my third closing. Let me say this. When God shows you through instructions, take it because you don't want to experience the experiences. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for these people. Thank you for this word that you have given me to give to them. And I pray that they go home and they chew on it. I pray that they go home and they get online and go to Facebook or Facebook page and re-watch us over and over. And I pray that those that are watching online today receive this word for themselves as well. We love our online church family. We love this, fa- this family that's here before us, God. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Everybody say, I can't. Take it here anymore. When you get to that place, life change will happen.